Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gate, ready to go. OutKick 360 is back on this Thursday edition, ready for a big show. Shine Fest is underway here at 6th and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. A lot to get to. Barrett Salee of CBS Sports joins us in 20 minutes. We'll recap the SEC meetings. We will also discuss the biggest college football headlines. Again, that's coming up in just 20 minutes. About an hour and 15 minutes from right now, Armando Salguero of Outkick.com, our NFL columnist, he will join us. We will discuss uh, a number of topics, including some recent retirements across the league and what Brady had to say about him coming out of retirement to rejoin the Bucks which he uh, brought up last night on the match. And then in the third hour of today's program, we dive into the future of streaming, sports streaming, not just on uh, online or through a, a computer, but actually on the app team by team and what the Red Sox are providing to their fans or in some cases not providing. We'll dive deeper on that. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Ready for a big day. Uh, I recorded. I went and watched Top Gun Maverick for a second time. Watched it with my dad last night. Happy birthday, Tom. And, Happy um, birthday, Tom. Happy birthday. Also uh, went back and recorded the match and went and watched it. So I've, I've got some thoughts on that. Big day for us yesterday. Announced that we're back on Nashville radio with 94.9 The Fan in Nashville right after we signed off. So it was a fun night looking down at uh, Twitter and seeing a lot of praise and not people coming after you which is always a nice change of pace on Twitter. So that was fun. Great positive feedback. Yes. We appreciate all of that. Did I tell you guys that uh, <clears throat> I was 90% certain that I saw Liam Neeson no. uh, the other day? So we were at the mall, but, you know, upstairs at the mall, most of the time you have to be on one side or the other, and there's the big cutout uh, to look down at the yeah. downstairs of the mall. The mall, by the way, soon the, to... The holes in the upstairs right. walkway that you can look down and see other stores. And this mall, Cool Springs Mall, near where I live, soon to be a walking track for old people also. Uh, the mall hours are like 10 to 9. We were there like after 7. Half the stores were already closed. Yeah. It, 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 they, they Physical play, store locations are in trouble. Yes, they play to their clientele. And most, most of their clientele apparently... Is, has no chance of shopping after 7 p.m. On a, on a weeknight. But anyway, we're, so we're walking uh, along one of those wide gaps, and I say to Teresa, that's Liam Neeson over there across the thing. She's like, no, it's not. I'm like, absolutely Liam Neeson. Uh, ponytail, walking with a, a, like teen, a man bun? teenage daughter. Like a, no, a, a, a short ponytail. But Liam Neeson has a ponytail? So like a man, Pony was it like high? No, low, low ponytail. So we get to a like point. He, like he made his mullet into a ponytail? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> I'm trying to figure. He's just he wearing not... his hair okay. like in a, in a ponytail. So we get later, you know, so then I give up on it. And then later we are uh, at a point where we've gone down the escalator and we're passing him much close, much more closely. And I say to her, 
How in the world could you have thought that was Liam Neeson? <laughs> so no, didn't look close. anything like him. So my eyes doing the current. So who did he end up looking like? <clears throat> a guy who you could think was Liam Neeson <laughs> from across the mall. So Simon, I, of course, I, didn't know who Liam Neeson was, so he was useless to he me. He was filming Taken Five at the <laughs> yeah. Cool Springs Mall. Well, every he's every movie Liam Neeson does now is some version of Taken. Like yeah. it's all the same plot where he's this badass old man. Who's got to go avenge something? I said, look how he's protecting that girl. Uh, Paul, I, I, I was trying to go with you on this, so I did look up what is he filming right now and where to see if he's in Nashville filming something. He's filming in the land of saints and sinners, and it starts with, in a remote Irish village. <laughs> Called the That's land of saints and sinners? In, such a land? in the land of saints oh, and movie. sinners. Are you ready for the uh, description? In, yeah. Uh, in, Taken five? Ready for this? Taken five. In a remote Irish village, a damaged Finbar is forced to fight for redemption after a lifetime of sins. But what price is he willing to pay? <laughs> in the land of saints and sinners, some sins can't be buried. Some sins can't be buried. Yeah, so there I are mean, three I, takens. Yeah. I thought there were four. I, I'm surprised there aren't more. But, I mean, I, thank God they stopped because how, it's really remake. Oh, yeah. After remake, after remake. They, honestly, they should keep going based on the money that they're making. They've made well, in the box office. Well, it's for the Fast and the Furious. They've, their budget for the three films combined is $118 million, and they have made uh, nearly $1 billion off of the franchise. How many Fast and Furiouses have they made? Oh, Ten? I, I uh, think that our appetite for... Davey say nine. Nine or eight? Is that nine? nine? He celebrates the catalog. Wow. Yeah. Well, is Tokyo Drift your favorite version of it? His favorite, which one? Was, his favorite was six, I think. Was it which one? When did the Rock come in? Like four or five? Midway through. Maybe yeah. Fast Five was Rock's first one. I mean, did they send a rocket ship up in one of these movies? <laughs> they had to race the I rocket. I swear to God, I heard a conversation on Stern where I don't think he was joking, where they sent a car Maybe. up on a rocket. Uh, a I've car. Not, not, not I, I honestly, I have not seen past the first one. I've not seen the first one. I saw the first one in, in a movie theater when I was in high school. And yeah. I've not seen any since. I think I've seen two of them. But it's not like I could quote anything from it. Uh, speaking of rocket ships, so Tom Cruise is working directly with Elon Musk on a SpaceX movie where Tom Cruise is going to film the movie in space. And I'm thinking, if how anyone is, is gonna, going to do the first ever movie solely in space, it's Tom Cruise. That's going to make that happen somehow. It's, just, it's, it's untitled SpaceX movie project. No, is this it's like with Tom Cruise and Elon Musk? Is this like SpaceX going to the International Space like, Station? Like a documentary, space, about it. or is this like I, I don't they're know. going up to an altitude where that guy free he was no, a it's, free it, jump out into space and then back into the atmosphere? It is it is going to space to shoot a movie, but I don't know if it's about SpaceX or it's being aided and produced by SpaceX to get them to space. Uh, it's it, it's a it could be a completely fictional way, it's space movie about space travel that's actually shot. I don't think all of it's going to be shot in space, but a lot of the movie will be shot in space. But it, it, no one knows. It's very mysterious as to what exactly they're doing. But if you go to Tom Cruise's IMDb page, it's got you know Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, Dead Reckoning Part Two, next summer release, and in 2024, untitled. SpaceX project. That that's a movie that he's doing. So I'm just I'm learning the exact figures here. Technically, to get to quote unquote space, you have to be 62 miles above sea level. The International Space Station is 254 miles above sea level. 
So there's a huge gap. So yeah. whenever you, when, I always think of like, oh, there's you can pay to go to space. I'm thinking like international ISS type. No, level. they take and you 62 take, and a half miles. Yeah, and then they bring you back. But I mean, you're still weightless. I mean, you want to feel that space feeling. I guess that's that's what Tom Cruise is willing to do. But they even Cruise do that is, space Cruise feeling. Is crazy man. They with, even with do those the, space the feelings and stuff that he filmed with in that in that jet that takes you up and drops, and you get the feeling of weightlessness well below 62 miles. But you get it. So you know, I mean, I, I, so watching watching Top Gun a second time. You know, Hutton, you said I'm interested to see like what what you catch differently yeah. the second go around. Yeah. Uh, one thing, without giving any spoilers away, was the message from Tom Cruise before the movie starts, before they draw, he comes on, he's like in a mm-hmm. movie theater thanking people for coming out, and he said, you know, we worked hard to make this a fully immersive experience, real F-18s, real Gs, mm-hmm. he's talking about the G-forces, like when you see their face in the movie, I, I saw 87% of the special effects in the movie and the stunts are all completely real, yeah, only 13% on of the movie was CGI at all. So even the actors are in the F-18s. They're not flying it, but they're in the they're F-18s, in the and you're seeing them face the G-forces yeah, so, that are being described in the movie. And even, even the jets that flew next to the jets that they're in, like for the fight scenes, there's a Cinejet. There's this black jet called a Cinejet with all the cameras mounted on it. Wow. And to train for this, um, all of the, the main actors that went up had to be certified in order to face these G-forces. So they went into a pool. They would strap them in upside down, blindfolded, and you had to find your way out blindfolded to get back up and be able to breathe. That was a part of the test that you had to pass. Sounds fun. Because part of this was filmed over water, and they, you had to pass all these different courses in order to film the movie. It was a three-month process just to get the actors certified to film this project. I mean, I respect the heck out of it. Like the fact that you'd go to those links to make something that looks that realistic. And it comes across as very realistic when you, when you watch the movie. Um, if I am an actor, <laughs> I, I would want my break, and I'm probably not saying no to Tom Cruise to be in the Top Gun sequel. But, man, that well, is quite the commitment to say, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm going to face these things that astronauts and fighter pilots face in terms of stress on my body to make a movie, even though I'm an actor, even if I'm in great shape, I'm an actor. I'm probably going to puke. I'm probably going to pass out. I'm probably going to do all these things at some point or another making this movie, but the dedication to do that, more power to him. I respect it. One of the takes Miles Teller was was describing, um, it, it, there's a mountain peak that they fly up and then over, and on one of the one of the. By the way, there's no director or, or anyone in the. Once you go up in these jets filming Top Gun Maverick, you as the actor, you are in charge of hitting record, and then you're filming the scenes up there and the. the director and everyone on set they don't see what you just did until you land and hand over the footage and so they had to go up and down quite a bit but there was one take where miles teller said they went up and he was not expecting the direction of the flight to the the flight path i'm not going to give away anything uh to take place and he was not strapped in quite tight enough and he lifts up and his head hits the top of the canopy and then he drops back down and they actually kept that in the film because it was a real reaction that Miles Teller had to that that fight scene slash chase scene in the film, and if you watch it, I think you'll see it. I know the the exact one we're talking about, but it, it was the the main one. Um, and he thought they were gonna have to redo it, and turns out his gaff of not being strapped in tight enough 
ends up staying in the film. Well, one thing that you uh, recognize throughout the movie is that these are not actors trying to look cool. Like in yeah. those scenes, it's like, man, these are people that are really under a lot of stress <laughs> that are doing it. Like their face, you, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they do not look pretty, right? Like Monica Barbaro, who we interviewed, very pretty woman, pretty actress. There are scenes where she's facing the G-Force and her, her eyes are in the back of her head. Yeah. And she looks like she's about to throw up and, you know, she's acting like it's she's steering the plane and they're moving in different ways through that valley that they go through in the movie. And I'm thinking, it's, it's cool to see people put that are accustomed to being on camera at all times and looking great, that know exactly how to treat a camera and how to look good on camera, that are putting themselves in positions where they are completely at the will of this aircraft they're in and it's going to make them look bad. And it's going to make them look bad in front of millions and millions of people and they yeah. don't care. Because it's all for the the good of the movie. Pretty cool. I, I'm I'm fascinated by how they tried to script everything, like being able to look right instead of left out of the jet, right? Knowing exactly when to look based on the way the script was going. It's it's a very well done uh, uh, summer movie. One other uh, going full circle here because we started talking about uh, Paul seeing Liam Neeson at a mall in Nashville. Um, the appetite that we as Americans have to watch aging guys beat people up or be cool. Tom Cruise and Top Gun proved that. Liam Neeson in every movie he's done is proving that. There's a reason they keep making this. The latest, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there is a series coming to Hulu and FX called The Old Man. Yeah, I saw a preview And it's Jeff time. Bridges as like an old school CIA operative. That basically has to like you know go destroy everyone in his path to get out of something. Yeah, and he's just this ancient guy that's able to do all these things. And I, I, and I but I watch it, Hutton, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm gonna watch this. I'll, I'll, I'll watch this show. Looks pretty good to me. Looks well, pretty about, cool. Uh, John Lithgow and Amy Brenneman. Yeah, that. it's a pretty good cast. I mean Stallone. Uh, just Vin going. Diesel. Robert De Niro was in the 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 recent well, the not the Italian. What was it called? Um, like a six-hour movie, the Irishman. The Irishman. Irish, so yeah. he's beating up people there as, as part of the mob. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a long. You're right. There's a long list of that. I but think a, that a lot uh, of it is just the nostalgia. Clint, of Clint Eastwood still another doing one. Them. Yeah, yeah uh, just like watching these guys do their thing. I I think part of it is, um, you know, and I wrote about this at Outkick. Movies are supposed to be aspirational in a lot of ways. Like you look up there, and whether you're motivated or whatever, it's like, man, I, that looks cool, right? that this is something I aspire to do. I think that we have a better time watching older people do cool things and think for a lot of us, I have that ahead of me or I'm in that moment in life right now and I could do that. It's maybe a little bit more depressing when you watch really young people do crazy great things on, on camera. Well, I, I also think it's we're super comfortable with these guys, so we just like watching them. True. Uh, this just coming in from uh, ESPN – Nike founder Phil Knight has partnered with Dodgers co-owner um, Alan Smolinski, and they've made a $2 billion-plus written offer to purchase the Portland Trailblazers. So Phil Knight is doing more than just running Nike in Oregon and college sports as we know it uh, through NIL. That's going to hurt um, uh, Oregon's NIL chances if uh, all the funds are going to the Portland Trailblazers and not the Oregon Ducks to get players. Coming up, we dive into more of the college headlines. Uh, plenty to talk about coming off of the SEC meetings down in Destin. 
Barrett Salee is about to join us from CBS Sports. We'll get the news, notes, headlines, and his plan, not just for an SEC schedule, but for a schedule for all Power 5 conferences that will be similar in how things are structured and laid out. We'll get the details of that and the thought and process he went into with this recent column. Barrett Salee is straight ahead. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience and VitaLifeScience.com. You know the website. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most. Your body. VitaLifeScience.com is the website to learn more. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. It's where you can find more information. Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills and capsules not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensures a greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, glutathione, and more. Plenty of other options for you to benefit from at vitalifescience.com. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360, vitalifescience.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on. Glad you're with us as we broadcast from Nashville across the Outkick network. Crew is all here. Plenty to discuss coming off of a busy week down in Destin with the SEC meetings uh, from Commissioner Sankey, all the head coaches, the ADs, and more. A big discussion about eight or nine uh, conference scheduled games for football. Um, that amongst uh, plenty of headlines to discuss going into college football season with NIL and pay-for-play and uh, everything else with the collectives. With more, we welcome in Barrett Salee, one of the best covering the sport from CBS Sports who joins us on 360. Barrett, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Things are doing great, guys. How are y'all? We are, we are fantastic. You, you did a deep dive uh, in your recent <laughs> column trying to make some sense of not just the SEC schedule, but the Power 5 schedule uh, as a whole. Uh, collectively trying to make a structure work for all Power 5 conferences where everyone is playing a similar structure. How difficult was it to come up with <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm curious, did you receive more positive or negative feedback from the average college football fan who all, everybody wants something different with their schedule? Yeah, I mean, it took a long time. Uh, I tell you, I, I did it last Thursday and Friday. And by th uh, Friday night, I was uh, very excited to go get a frosty <laughs> beverage because, man, it made my brain hurt. Uh, but no, I mean, it was uh, it was a fun exercise. And no, nobody liked it. <laughs> I mean, everybody has a problem with it in some way, shape or form. That's just kind of how things work in our in our line of work. Right. But, um, you know, I think with with scheduling, it's there's no right answer. Like college football is dysfunctional. It's it's beautifully dysfunctional. That's why, you know, we all like it. It's uh, th there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of what goes on. And so when I pitched the idea, I wanted to say, all right, look, we always talk about uh, not every schedule is, is equal and, and all this other stuff. No teams are the same. No schedules are the same. And it's like, all right, well, that's true. Well, let's try to be as equal and fair as possible. So, uh, look, I was the most uh, pr biggest proponent of nine conference games for like the last decade. But that was when neutral site openers 
uh, out of conference games. Like uh, th- that was the trend. Now we have so many home and homes on the books for the next 15, 20 years. If you go to nine, you're going to lose a lot of those and, and you're going to rob college football of some matchups that you typically don't see that could be very entertaining. So Barrett, I, I'm listening to you know everything going back and forth with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, just like everyone else. And now all of a sudden, I think it was Kirby Smart who said, "Oh, we never talk to each other. You know, we, we've never spoken like that. This is not something that we talk or hang out." But I just got done reading where every year there's these little clicks of Saban guys that always seem to be chatting it up and hanging out with each other. Jeremy Pruitt or no, Lane Kiffin talked about a group message with all the head coaches that Jeremy Pruitt was on when he's at Tennessee of all the Saban assistants. So is that really a thing that they don't talk to each other or now because all of this happened, they've made the decision. We probably just shouldn't even speak anymore now that Jimbo and Nick aren't speaking. Well, I'm sure they're still speaking and I'm sure that that's just the company line to try to get everything to go get thrown away and, you're right. There are clicks. I mean, I've been down to spring meetings several times, and I know you guys have as well. Uh, today, Thursday of the spring meetings is always the golf tournament. And a lot of these coaches, yeah, they play together uh, as a group, as a foursome, which is a click. And I remember specifically um, the, you know, Gus Malzahn and, uh, and uh, Chad Morris and, and everybody who wore Vitus You Freeze. Uh, they were a click because they all sort of had the visors in relation to Steve Spurrier. So they all sort of bonded for, through that. And, and they all talk. Uh, look, I think I don't know what it accomplishes by saying they don't because we all know that they do. And honestly, I think Jimbo and Nick are probably talking again, too. I, I just think that that was probably a directive from on high that, you know, Greg Sankey issued to be like, look, guys, let's let's just let's just pass off any idea that any of you guys are friendly and talk to each other just so we can sort of get through this and move on. But yeah, I mean, they're playing golf today. I don't know if Jimbo and Nick are playing golf. I don't know if Nick and Kirby are playing golf, but I guarantee you there are multiple coaches playing golf today and and yeah, they're clicks. They talk, they have text message chains, all of them. Let's flip over to the big 10 for a second. Ryan day said this morning that uh, he thinks it'll cost $13 million for him to, in NIL for him to retain his roster from one year to the next, not counting for incoming uh, players. You did a nice Mm. job flipping and and already writing about that. What do you think, A, about him saying a number, and B, about the number? I think that every coach is going to want to throw out a dollar figure now because it's, it's for recruiting. You know, I think folks will look at that 13 million high school prospects and, if, and, and think, wow, that's a lot of money. OK, uh, if, if I'm going to get a part of that just for sticking around every year, then, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But I was surprised he used a number like 13 million, because to me, I, I, I it's a lot more than that, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we saw, um, you know, Quinn Ewers get one point four million dollars before stepping foot on Ohio State's campus and he's no longer there. Uh, Bryce Young. Uh, got over a million dollars before taking a meaningful snap as Alabama's quarterback. Uh, you know, so $13 million to me is, I wouldn't say it's a conservative estimate because that, that is, you know, sort of the happy middle ground. And, and that's where Ryan Day said that he was going. But to me, you know, $13 million per year total is going to be a bare minimum sort of salary uh, cap, so to speak, or budget um, just because, I think these collectives are sort of drunk with power right now. They're intoxicated by the fact that they can legally buy players above board. And so they're pouring a lot of money into it. So for the next few years, I would say it's going to be more than $13 million. 
Uh, Ryan Day in that story does say that he, he doesn't want to go below the speed limit, but you get pulled over if you go too fast. So he's trying to, you know, be in that happy, you know, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit kind of zone. But I just think with, with the next couple of years, until you stop seeing some return on investment uh, and, and your investments don't work, that you're going to see those dollar figure score. It's a great time to be a high school college athlete because you are in the sweet spot in terms of your financial uh, earning ability. 13 million sounds like an initiation fee to join the club. You know, that, that's, right, exactly. that's, that's what I would throw in uh, at the, the baseline. Then you start paying your monthly payments after you make the initiation <laughs> fee. Uh, Barrett Salee with us from CBS Sports. Saban continues to discuss his concerns for name image likeness. And he was doing so this past week at the, at the podium. Barrett, who is he speaking to? And we know, we know Saban's voice and message carries weight. Does it carry enough to affect any more change than the average SEC coach or average Power 5 coach that would say the exact same thing? Yeah, it carries more weight. I don't necessarily know if he's speaking to a specific person or group. I just think he's like basically yelling at somebody to say, hey, come fix this, because the NCAA is theoretically anyway the, the governing body that should and could, but the federal government has obviously been a part of this as well. George Klobakoff and, and Greg Sankey went to, you know, Washington last month to try to lobby, uh, you know, uh, decision makers and lawmakers uh, to, to, to take some action on this. They're busy uh, in Washington for other reasons now. So I, I doubt this is at the top of their food chain, but it might be if schools start getting put uh, in a revenue pinch because of their state's NIL laws and the fact that they're maybe the more stringent than others. So, um, you know, I think Nick was, I guess initially talking to the NCAA, he mentioned earlier this week that a federal government solution is something that could happen. I think because this is a pretty big microphone in the offseason that he's using it to just basically get it out there to the crowd to say, hey, look, you know, what's going on in the state of Texas, in the state of Alabama, in the state of Florida, in the state of California, they're all different. And that needs to be changed. And he's right. It does. As far as that leadership is concerned, Whenever a, a coach is fired or resigns, whatever, there, there's a short list of, of names that immediately pop up. Is there a, a small group of names that you've heard or one name that you've heard that makes sense to replace Mark Emmert at the, as president of the NCAA? Have you heard any, any headway there? Yeah, I've heard a couple. I think Oliver Luck uh, might be a big one. He's had a lot of different experience in startup football, obviously, at West Virginia and his EAD, a lot of different areas. So uh, he's an innovative guy, and I think that um, he, he could definitely do a lot. I've heard Condoleezza Rice, and I know folks sort of were surprised when she was put on the first college football playoff selection committee. Uh, I've, I've heard from numerous people that what she brought to that group um, really impressed more people than, than, than you realize. And so I think she could be a big part of this as well. I would say Oliver Luck would be probably the first candidate. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, probably number two, but I don't think it's going to be anybody in house. I, I think they need to clean house. And I think, um, you know, the, that the presidents understand that because there is sort of a, a uh, backwards line of thinking in the offices in Indianapolis right now. You know, with, with all this, um, Nick Saban mentions A&M, he mentions Jackson State. He doesn't mention Tennessee. And everyone's kind of talking around the edges around the quote-unquote $2 million quarterback that's out there. Whether that's true or not, whether that's an accurate number or not, they're talking about Nico Yamaleava, who's going to Tennessee. So I'm curious, Baird, if, and I, I believe this to some extent with Nick Saban, 
Yes, he wants what's best for college football, and he does not think NIL is best for college football. But also, yes, he is threatened by this. And the college football establishment of power is threatened when A&M gets the best recruiting class in the history of football. They're threatened when Tennessee goes and pulls a five-star quarterback that everyone in America wanted out of the state of California. And that is part of the driving factor with all this. So my question for you is, should they feel threatened by A&M, by Tennessee? Is there an actual avenue? And I'll put Tennessee in a separate category from A&M, given Jimbo Fisher's success. Is there an avenue for Tennessee in NIL with Josh Heupel to be a quick national player in college football in the next year or two? Yeah, there is for sure. Uh, you know, they, they have the financial backing. They have the fan base. I would say a very desperate fan base after everything that, Tennis, that Tennessee's gone through in the last couple of decades. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think they have the ability to, to potentially become that team uh, to rise quickly, to reel in a ridiculously strong recruiting class uh, and then back it up with one as well. Uh, and plus, I mean, just in general, think like let's, let's think old school recruiting methods. Josh Heupel is an up-tempo coach. It's hard not to like that if you're an offensive skill player. And that is primarily what drives the bus in college football now anyway. So on top of the NIL stuff, I think Tennessee's got a lot to sell just from a pure recruiting standpoint from what Heupel brings to the table and what he showed in, in year one. Uh, so, yeah, I think Tennessee can get that back to that point. The problem for Tennessee is that the roster gap from them to Alabama and Georgia is ridiculous. I mean, it's the size of three Grand Canyons right now. So it will take some time. But yeah, I think the combination of the excitement from a pure football standpoint that that Heupel can bring offensively, uh, how that translates to recruiting and the financial backing that, you know, exists at Tennessee through these collectives and through everything else. Uh, yeah, they could they could jump back into uh, to become a national power or at least be discussed nationally uh, over the next couple of years. If, if we set NIL aside, Saban and, and Jimbo aside, and scheduling aside, what's the best thing you heard come out of the, the SEC meetings from any particular coach or program? Oh, uh, that, uh, that Scott Woodward called Jimbo Fisher and, uh, and Nick Saban backwards rednecks sort of <laughs> in, a, in a backwards way. Uh, I didn't really hear much of anything that can, comes out that's exciting. I mean, honestly, I think this year was more of a fact-finding uh, year. It was different than in other years when you have, you know, the interconference SEC transfer like we had with Malik Zaire. We had the, mm. um, the, the uh, uniform drug policy, the, you know, addition of Texas A&M and Missouri. Like there are other things a lot of years that, that, you know, were imminent. I don't think anything's imminent this year. I think they'll maybe obviously discuss some other scheduling proposals, the two that are primary right now, back when they get back to campuses, uh, do some, you know, some, some financial planning and forecasting and things like that. But, you know, it's been a, it's been a pretty boring week in reality. Um, I know the, the Saban Jimbo thing is nice and it's fun and people like to talk about it in the off season, but it already happened outside of that. You know, there really hasn't been a whole lot other than a few leaks here and there of, of the scheduling possibilities. What do you think of Deion Sanders as a burr kind of in this whole thing as a quote unquote outsider with some stinging commentary and, and some power? I love it. I love it. I think Dion is using his platform um, in, in a very responsible way, even though sometimes Dion and responsibility doesn't necessarily go together. I, I think that he, he does understand the plight of the high school athlete and now the college athlete um, in this day and age. 
Uh, he did it as a dad with his son. Uh, he did it as a high school coach, a camp coach. Uh, he's seen it in the pros and how it translates. So I think Dion right now, I think there's this idea that always oh, just looking out for himself in Jackson state. And well, yeah, of course he is, but he's also, I think recognizes that his voice um, it really stands for a different group of people. The FCS, I'm not just the HBCU, just the FCS lower level that he can bring attention to some of the things that get, they go through that people don't even realize. So I think he's doing a great job. I think he's, it's healthy for the sport. Um, I think it's certainly good for Jackson state clearly after what happened last year, but uh, I think he has shed light on some issues that generally speaking, the casual college football fan uh, overlook and, and a lot of times don't even care about. Uh, so that's cool. And, and I think if, um, if there's an opening in the off season somewhere, uh, that Deion Sanders has made himself quite attractive to potential FBS uh, uh, openers or job openings next year. Barrett Salee, our guest. If not Alabama or Georgia, where would you place your money in the SEC? What, who has the best odds or at least uh, the most likely odds for where you would slide your money that way? I would put it on Ole Miss just because I think in a one-game situation, Ole Miss is extremely dangerous. Uh, we've seen that for a while. I mean, Lane – you know, I know Matt Corral's not there, but he's 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 comfortable with Jackson Dart and Luke Altmyer. I think he feels like Jackson Dart has more upside, and I think he's right. But he's comfortable with those guys. He they, he upgraded at the running back spot uh, with Ulysses Bentley and Zach Evans. Both of those guys, you know, that's the foundation of his offense. He's got a, a Swiss Army knife tied in wide receiver in Michael Trigg. He's got a, another Swiss Army guy in Jalen Robinson from from UCF uh, and they can't be much worse defensively. So if, if you, if you're, if you're talking about a dark horse, so to speak, you have to really think about which team can dictate styles because styles make fight. And, and I think right now Ole Miss can, and if they catch Alabama at the wrong day, holding that head to head tiebreaker and essentially having a two game lead is a big, big deal in a division race. So not A&M because you feel, do you feel, are you yeah. not saying A&M because the bandwagon is with A&M right now? <laughs> no, I, I don't really trust him at quarterback. I mean, Haynes King, you know, we haven't seen a lot of him, so it's hard to gauge him. Max John just okay. I think losing Isaiah Spiller is big because he's that big bruiser. I don't necessarily love them on either line of scrimmage. I think defensively they have a chance to be all right, but they're going to rely on some young guys, and that's never an easy thing to do. Um, I just, to me, it's hard to trust a Jimbo Fisher team at this point, especially one with extreme inexperience at quarterback because it's such a tough system. It's such a huge uh, quarterback de dependent system and more so than any other college football program, I'd say. So, you know, having a guy that's been there for two, three, four years, like Kellen Mond was, that was a big deal. And that was why Texas A&M had some sort of sense of stability. And right now they just don't have that. Barrett, I'm a huge Braves fan. Uh, you are a much bigger Braves fan than I. And I follow you on Twitter for your college football analysis, but also for your Braves analysis and, and your Braves take. So I, I must ask you, are you the least bit concerned with this slow start this season for the Braves? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's the slow start's one thing. The fact that the Mets don't ever lose games is another thing. Now, it's the Mets, and they're fully capable of going full Met at any time. So it's not that big of a threat right this very second, but they can't hit with runners in scoring position up until about last week and a half or so. Adam Duvall has just been atrocious. Uh, it seems like Matt Olson only hits when people aren't on base. That's changed a little bit, obviously, as well over the last week or so. But yeah, I'm a little concerned. If, if the Mets weren't doing what they do, 
I would probably be okay with being four, five, six out. Being 10 out, I don't care if it is the Mets, it is a little daunting. Um, but then again, it's the Mets and, and they are capable of, of shooting themselves in the foot on, uh, on numerous occasions uh, throughout the course of a season. So a little concerned, but hey, there's an extra playoff spot. So I think that's good. And, um, you know, if the Braves get hot, you know, winning the division's nice. Uh, after what happened last year, it'd be great to have five straight division titles. But uh, if they can get hot in the postseason without a division title, totally fine with that. Hey, it's been really nice talking to you from Augusta. Uh, when did you become a mem- <laughs> when did you become a member? Man, if it was Augusta, I guarantee you, uh, I would not be talking to you guys from right here. <laughs> I would be I would be busy shooting about a buck fifty. It's a beautiful I, I just backdrop. Thought you were between rounds. Beautiful backdrop. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate. Hey, you know what? I I figured. I'm at, I'm at Lake Lanier. It's pretty out here. It's a pretty day. Might as well give you guys a little bit of eye candy to look at. It's perfect. Perfect setting. Uh, great job uh, with all the coverage this week and, and always, Barrett. We appreciate it, man. Great insight today, and we appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Barrett Salee there, CBSSports.com. Just follow him on Twitter. It's real simple. It's just his name. I thought he was hitting the uh, bird chirp button like uh, like CBS does. They yeah, like they, perfect. Yeah, yeah, it was actually, perfect, perfectly uh, spaced yeah, apart. Dylan so. Taylor was piping that in for us <laughs> uh, on our end. That was Barrett's uh, request. He's like, as long as you can make it sound like we're on the the 16th fairway at Augusta. It's perfect. Or that'd be the 17th fairway at Augusta. We'll talk the match when we come back. Either um, way, it's beautiful. And uh, the setup for the 12-hole match between... Uh, the, these pairs where Brady and Rogers get it done against Mahomes and Josh Allen and uh, why the format that we saw is it's happened again for the second time. And while we're likely to continue to see it out in Vegas, that and more next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime on May 3rd. Summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Today they're celebrating National Moonshine Day with Shine Fest. Right here in downtown Nashville, massive party going on outside the studios here, which stretches a full city block from 6th all the way to 7th. Peabody's in between, and here is 6th and Peabody. We, next time you're in Nashville, feel free to swing by, say hello. Uh, and while you're here, swing by and say hello to Outkick 360. Live 2 to 5 Central, 3 to 6 Eastern. The match last night with uh, Brady and Rogers had the drama that they – Desire It ends on a putt from Rodgers at the end. Uh, Mahomes uh, was putting like Jordan Spieth at times during this. Uh, overall, a big success because it wasn't one of these two sides running away with it. Uh, Paul, your biggest beef is the 12-hole uh, instead of the 18, which, I mean, if you're tuning in and you learn it's only 12 holes, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I also, I really want to like it, and I watched all of it. You know, I came in late and saw what I missed, you know, with the, with the combine photograph on, on Josh Allen's golf ball and, and Brady's response with the Lombardi trophy on his. It just comes up short somehow, and I can't necessarily characterize it. I just want more from all of them. I want more interaction 
I want more talk. And to me, the star of the thing is still Barkley. Uh, Barkley's the most entertaining piece of it. Barkley's got the most to say. I understand they're going to quiet down when they're, uh, there's a tense moment or they're really concentrating over a shot and stuff. But there was a moment where they're talking to Rodgers about a tough shot where he's got to poke through some bushes. It seemed like he had turned off his stuff. And I just want it to be a lot more interactive than it is. And maybe I've just got too high a hopes for it. They're not the best of friends, so it's kind of a thrown-together thing. And I, I, I kind of predicted yesterday that I thought Josh Allen would be a dud, and I thought Josh Allen was a total dud. Yeah, he I, got I, didn't, quiet I didn't hear he anything interesting from Josh Allen the entire time. The most interesting th- thing from Josh Allen was that he almost buried an unbelievable putt on the last hole. And that was it from him for me. Yeah, he wasn't great. I, I thought Mahomes was about what I expected. Mahomes he had was, some great He moments. was fine. Yeah, I, I liked that he was drinking. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. And he was a sponsor uh, with his Coors Light that he was drinking throughout. Swing, just no free plugs, even though I just gave draining one. some putts. I mean, he, yeah. he's your typical guy out on the, just the a super community athlete golf well, that can do anything. Brady and Brady and Rodgers, to me, are at such an advantage in that setting. Having been there before – being a little bit older and a lot older in the case of uh, uh, Tom Brady, but more savvy in those settings, knowing how to entertain a little bit, not getting overly caught up in it mentally. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, to me, has just the perfect mindset for something like that, how he can just sort of block things out and almost go zen-like at and times. he's a better golfer than when he's Yeah, he's, he's a way better golfer. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought some of the highlights – you know, Brady going up to Josh Allen with his – he had the Lombardi, Lombardi trophy on the ball and said, have you ever seen this, Josh? You ever seen one of these? You know you know what this looks like? And when he said – which some would say maybe a little bit below the belt, but he was talking about what's above the belt of Josh Allen. He said, I hit that one a little chunky, or shall I say a little Josh Allen-y. That's great. Uh, about – I mean, I thought that was really funny too. Um, I mean, it. I guess it sort of – it gave us what we were expecting, which are just – Dudes being dudes and very famous dudes, four top quarterbacks in the NFL, just blowing it up for 12 holes in Vegas at a nice course. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else more we're expecting at this point. People are like, oh, you know, we also saw some terrible golf and it's relatable. And I'm thinking, I'm watching these guys and I'm like, they're way better than me. Yeah. There's nothing relatable yeah. about watching Aaron Rodgers play golf to me. That guy is really good. Tom Brady hit some really good shots. Every single one of them hit shots that I will never hit. So I'm not watching that thinking, man, this is some terrible golf. And of course, they're not PGA Tour professionals. But for athletes from another sport, they're really good. I don't watch the golf part of it and think, man, these guys are terrible to watch play golf. It's not watching the pros, but I don't know. I I hear that and I'm thinking, how many people out there are going to golf that well in that setting? Not many. So here's why it's 12 holes. It, it's through. Uh, it's it's set up for TV and it's set up through the Win Casino Golf Course. Um, the Win Golf Club is the name of it. It's the same course for Deshambo and Kepka, and which I didn't realize that was, was also 12 holes. They actually here's here are the 12 holes. It's not one through 12. 16, 3, 12, 13, 11, 5, 14, 9, 7, 8, 18, 17. Those are your 12 holes that they play, and it's because of the TV link that they're doing, but beyond that, the frequencies that they're using and transmitting back to their truck, 
all of the mics, all of the cameras, and more importantly, the batteries on those cameras that are mounted in, inside of all these uh, different uh, golf carts or uh, certain holes have different things going. Um, and then they structure it based on the holes that the golf course wants to present to the viewer. And the so tiebreaker. That's, that's the setup. The tiebreaker would have really pissed me off because the tiebreaker was closest to the pin on the final hole, which you said, I think, 17. 17 was So they wouldn't even play the hole out. It was closest to the pin. Which, which is, by the way, I won some money on. But closest to the pin. Because I bet on Brady Rogers. The reason for that the is they don't have the time, time. structured. Yeah, daylight. In da- yeah, the day, they're running out of daylight on the West Coast, so they're, they're factoring in, okay, how do we just get this over with? Yeah. And that's, that's their method to it. They should actually take them to, like, you know, the indoor. I'm sure there's an indoor driving range or something at that course, you know. Or they the, should have them play a hole before that's recorded yeah. that winds up being it or something. Does, I, I don't know. Look, it's better than anything else that's on TV oh, it's fantastic on, on a Wednesday night. And here's the thing. You know what? It, it but showed, it could be better still. Well, here's why it could be better. This desperately missed Phil Mickelson. Yeah, Phil Mickelson was missed in this. And this there shows the true value of Mickelson, not just for golf, but for broadcast. Like he, he is a gem when it comes to He's this He's a talker. Event. He gets the conversation going and keeps it going. I love Barkley and, on the everything goes 7% further in, in Vegas. He's like, hey, where did he come up with this number? I'm not buying this number. You're just making a number up. And then he said, this is the longest I've ever been in Las Vegas without betting. <laughs> <laughs> and then proceeded to bet J.J. Watt on something. That's great. Outkick 360 headlines next.